Well, good evening. You can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We haven't been together in Bible study on Wednesdays, or at least I haven't, uh, for the last couple of weeks. We had worship night and a guest speaker the week before. So we're picking it up here after a couple of weeks. And to be honest, it's probably a good thing to take a break with the book like the book of Proverbs every couple of weeks anyway, because it can be a little repetitive in that these are teachings on wisdom, and there's a lot of reoccurring themes. In fact, some of what we're going to read tonight we've already read. Uh, Some of it's repeated because we're in a section which is a collection of Proverbs by Solomon, uh, whereas the first part of the book was more uh, of of a concise uh, section of, of, of Solomon just sort of going on about wisdom. And then when we got to verse Uh, chapter 10, verse 1, we started to look at this collection, and some of it is overlapping with some of what we looked at already. But having said that, everything in chapter 16, all the way through the middle of chapter 22, deals with the, the subject of a godly life, what it means to live a godly life, and it can, it can really break down into the things you're supposed to avoid and the things you're supposed to do. I guess the things that are right and the things that are wrong. And in this world, which is very confused, uh, there is a lot of confusion about what's right and what's wrong. But the Bible's not confused. And wisdom teaches us exactly what is right and what is wrong. And so for that, we are going to look in God's word this evening uh, at the godly life and pray that God will give us not only the information, but the strength and the power and the application that we might live lives that are, in fact, godly. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us an understanding of your word through the teaching of your word and through the application of your word. And so we ask that this evening you'd give us an understanding in a way where we can really truly see ourselves in the word and see ourselves reflected back at us that we might see the things that we're doing well, the things that we're doing that are not so good, uh, but also that we might be different for having come together this evening to study your word And I pray that each and every one of us would have something we could take home and apply, even this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the godly life. The godly life is often observed in others. It's often sought in individuals. But the scripture shows us through individuals, but also through teaching throughout the books of the Bible, what it means to be godly. And so we're going to start by... In chapter 16, with a principle, and the principle is that the Lord is in control of all of our lives. That's not to say we don't make choices. You can't blame God when you make a bad choice and say, well, God's in control, and he allowed me to make a bad choice, therefore it's God's fault. You can't do that because God gives you free will. But even in the midst of us making sometimes absolutely terrible choices, God is in control. Amen? That's the, that's the comfort we have as Christians, that as we are filled with the Spirit, that even when we're making the wrong decisions and choosing to do the wrong things, that God is working through those things, that he works through everything. All things are working together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And that means our mistakes, our sinful decisions even. God will redeem those things the things that the canker worm and the palmer worm and the locust have eaten. God has a way of redeeming even the worst decisions we make. I've heard people tell that they say, well, I made a terrible decision, but some great and wonderful things came out of it. And that's an example of what we mean when we say that God is working through all things. 
And so as we look at the scripture, that's sort of the theme here. The Lord is in control of all of our lives, and he he directs and gives success to our plans, but only according to his will. And thank God for that. So let's take a look, as we do here uh, in the book of Proverbs. I'll read a little bit, make a few comments. Pretty much just going to read straight through. Uh, it, It really teaches itself. But in chapter 16 and verse 1, and this one's a little hard. You have to think about this one. To man belong the plans of his heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. Now, if you look at that at first glance, you're thinking, what, what? Remember, the reply of the tongue is a reply generally from someone else, maybe someone in authority, maybe someone you're trying to influence or someone you you need to help you in a situation. In the ancient world, you would look to your authorities, your elders, the king, people who were in charge, and you would have these plans, but those plans had to be blessed by or endorsed by those in charge. So you couldn't control the reply that you would get for a request. So I think when we look at this, to man belongs the plans of the heart, what he wants to do, what you and I want to do. But notice, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. You can't control how others respond to you or how they will reply when you ask for a favor or you ask for help or you ask for permission to do something. Uh, You know, if you're building a home and you need a permit, uh, you have to go. Your plan may be wonderful, maybe a beautiful plan, a gorgeous house. And you go to the town and you submit your plans and you can't control how your neighbors might respond when you send out that certified letter to get them to approve. Uh, you, can't re- you can't control how the town zoning board will respond when you want to build another floor or put in a, a swimming pool. But the plan is there. That much is in your heart. What happens as a result of your plan? Only God can control. Amen? But God does control it. So he controls the reply of the tongue or how people actually respond to your plans. In verse 2, all a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. I mean, you may think what you're doing is okay. There's so many people who are deceived, self-deceived. They think, oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good with God. I'm, everything's okay. But, but notice, his motives are weighed by the Lord. So you may even seem like a very innocent person. Oh, what a wonderful person he is or she is. They're doing these things. They're, they're, they're innocent. They don't mean anything. But God sees your heart. He knows why you're helping that person. He knows why you're giving that money. He knows why you're volunteering. Why are you coming to church? What is your motive? God knows the heart. Amen? Verse 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. I love that. So, So looking at all of these themes, and especially the first one, you may have many plans in life. But you commit them to the Lord, and notice your plans will succeed. That is, if they're in accordance with God's will, and you're looking to God to fulfill that plan for your life, you're going to be prosperous and successful, the way that God spoke to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. Verse 4, the Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked for a day of disaster. And this gets back to the theme, God is in control. Now, There's a lot of scripture in here that really excites me, given the culture we're living in right now, and I will mention it as we go through. But as I look at our world and the things that are going on in our culture in this nation, notice the the Lord works out everything for his own ends. God's will supersedes man's will, even though man has free will. And notice the wicked, they exercise their free will against God, but notice 
God has a plan for them as well. Even the wicked for a day of disaster. God will deal with it. And listen, please don't think of me as a bloodthirsty person, but there are people that are so wicked in our culture today that the only legitimate prayer you can pray is, may the Lord touch their heart and change their heart, or if they remain wicked, may he bring a day of disaster upon them. That's called an imprecatory prayer. It's the idea of asking God for, for that if the person would respond to mercy, wonderful. If not, may you bring judgment. Okay? Verse 5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. But sure, be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. I like that too. Same idea. God does, he resists the proud, but notice, you're not going to get away with anything. Not with God. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for, and through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. Now, this is a wonderful little contrast, but it makes its point. Notice, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. You love a person, you're being faithful, uh, you have sinned, or someone has sinned against you, and the relationship causes you to make amends. Because atonement has to do with making things right. And you know, you can do that with God, but really here the idea is with others. Your your relationship is made right because of love and faithfulness on the part of the individuals involved. But notice, through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. So you can get yourself into a heap of trouble and have to apologize, or you can fear God and avoid evil and not have to apologize because you didn't do something wrong. Are you with me? Makes sense, right? Better prevention, you know, what do they say, an ounce of Prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? So I really think that that's important. Verse 6, into verse 7 now. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Now that, that is really awesome because if you're living according to God's will and your ways are pleasing to God, God is going to give you influence. He's going to give you the ability to bring peace to a situation. And it's not, listen, these are general principles. I don't know even if the most godly person could make peace with some, some people on earth, I think of uh, North Korea, right? King, Kim Jong-il, uh, Il or Un, or I can't I'll keep track anymore. But he is a very difficult person to deal with, and yet our last president figured out a way to work with him. But it, it's, it's, if you do the things that are right and pleasing to God, the opportunity is there for you to make peace, even with your enemies. And by the way, you don't make peace... With your friends, you make peace with your enemies. It's kind of what it means to make peace. And it can be done. And better peace than war, amen? In his heart, I'm sorry, um, verse 8, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Yeah, what would you rather have, you know? Be a righteous person that maybe isn't all that rich. Be very wealthy, but having gotten that wealth in the wrong way, you're an unjust person through injustice? No, you wouldn't. So verse 9, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Now this is really the, the bottom line of the section we're in. All of these Proverbs kind of point to this truth. In his heart, remember in our heart we make plans, like we said in verse 1. In his heart a man or a woman, they plan their course, but the Lord determines his steps. That is life, Proverbs 16.4. It's worth memorizing that verse because... We all have plans. We all want things to happen or are working toward this or that happening in and through our lives. But your steps are determined by the Lord. So you think you have free will, and you do, and yet God 
can work through and around and despite our free will. And so for this reason, some theologians believe man doesn't have free will, right? They, they believe that even his free will is controlled by God. I don't agree with that. That's not the way I look at things. I look at God having supreme sovereignty and man having sovereignty over his own will, but is limited to the sovereignty of God. And so the point here is simply this. What's going on in your life? You think you're in control? Actually, you're not. God is in control. And he's working all things together if you belong to him. That is, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He's working all things together for good. Verse 10. Uh, actually, that was uh, verse 9. You can tell my eyes are not so good. One of these days I'm going to have to get a, a larger print Bible. I'm holding off. Okay, so Proverbs 16, verse 9. We've just read Proverbs 16, verse 10. The lips of a king speak as an oracle. Or people would go to an oracle or a prophet or, or someone who, who knew the future to get guidance and wisdom, right? So the lips of a king speak as an oracle, and his mouth should not betray justice. That is, a king has a position of authority. People are looking to that leader to help them, to guide them, to tell them the truth, and to give them wisdom. And so they shouldn't betray justice. And I think just about every politician in our nation should read that verse. Verse 11, honest scales and balances are from the Lord. And all the weights in the bag are of his making. Now, you may not know this, but when you went to the market in the ancient world, they would have a little bag of weights. And you put whatever you were purchasing on a scale, which was balanced. And they would take the weights out of the bag. And they had them in different little weights or amounts, just like when you go to the gym and you have a 20 and a 25 and a 40 or a 45, they would take these little weights and they put them on the other end of the scale. And, and then when it balanced out with the goods on the one side, that's the weight, that's how much you would pay. But there were unscrupulous people who had one set of weights in a bag that was for selling and one for buying. And they would use the weight more or less to their own advantage. It would be like what we call putting your finger on the scale which is a saying we use. And it's that idea. This is a principle of honesty in all things. Honest scales and balances are from the Lord, and all the weights in the bag are of his making. This can mean when you're counting change, counting money, weighing things out, counting votes. It can mean anything where honest scales are required. And you'll see, we're not living in a godly society, so many people in our society, most of our leaders, do not obey these Proverbs. That's, that much should be clear already and will become more clear as we move on. Okay, verse 12. Kings detest wrongdoing, for the throne is established through righteousness. Now, of course, there are wicked kings, but the idea is kings are there to keep people from doing the wrong things. Authority is there to prevent that. Unless you live in a city that decided that they would be better if they didn't have a police force, right? So kings are there to establish law and order. Leaders are supposed to do that. So a throne is established. His authority, or the leader's authority, is established through their righteousness, through them living the way they're supposed to. What we see today is kings, leaders, not living the way they're supposed to. And as a result, the authority in our nation is being attacked. People don't respect the positions of authority in our nation. Uh, certain governors are respected, certain are not. Uh, presidents, cabinet uh, secretaries, those in authority now many times are being called into question. And, and it, it, it just shows that because of a lack of righteousness, there's no integrity, there's no confidence in our leaders on both sides of the aisle. I'm not just speaking of one party. It's true. 
And so that's the way it should be. And again, these are general principles. Uh, Verse 13. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value a man who speaks the truth. Oh, my kingdom for a man or a woman who will speak the truth, right? So few people will. They usually tell people what they want to hear. But notice, a leader is going to maybe not always like hearing the truth. At least they, they should like hearing the truth. But a good king is going to take pleasure in honest lips and value a man who speaks the truth because someone who will tell you the truth, as we'll see in future Proverbs here, is someone you can trust, it's someone you can rely upon, and someone who can help you. Notice, notice the king's wrath is a messenger of death, but a wise man will appease it. The king, in the ancient world, kings had the authority to put you to death. Generally, capital punishment was something the king could decide to enforce in, in many ways uh, uh, because of many crimes. Even low-level crimes could result in this. So the, the message here is, look, if the king's wrath is a messenger of death, if he's angry about something, notice a wise man will appease it. That is, do something to please the king. Don't do something to anger him. Verse 15, when a king's face brightens, it means life. His favor is like a rain cloud in spring. And these are all connected here. Obviously, if a king is happy, you know, think about it in terms not of a king, because we don't have a king in our nation, and we don't interact with our leaders all that much. But think about it at work, right? Your boss, okay? Someone in authority over you. If their face brightens, it means life, you know? You'll be blessed at work, and obviously their favor is like a rain cloud in spring, that it brings abundance. It, it brings raises, bonuses. You want your boss to be happy? I don't think anyone goes to work and says, I really want to tick off my boss today. Of course not. So these are all good proverbs. Verse 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. Oftentimes, money is contrasted with wisdom simply because most men and women seek money and not wisdom. And if they sought wisdom, they're more likely to have both money and wisdom, but many people do not. Verse 17, the highway of the upright avoids evil, and he who guards his way guards his life. This is that idea of staying out and away from those areas where evil thrives. And the highway is used because it's really where are you traveling toward those things, metaphorically speaking? Are you heading towards evil? Guard your way. Verse 18, you've heard this before many times, I'm sure. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, We generally hear that shortened to pride comes before the fall. But actually, the full proverb is pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The idea, if you're a proud person, it's not going to end well. Verse 19, better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. So better to not be a proud person, better to be a humble person, uh, even to be oppressed by others than to share in the plunder of the proud. That is to, to go ahead and take money and get resources and success in a proud way by taking advantage of others. So better to be lowly in spirit. I think Jesus taught us that pretty clearly in the Beatitudes. Verse 20, whoever gives heed to instruction prospers and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Pretty straightforward. In the beginning of our study in Proverbs, we talked a lot about being willing to be disciplined and instructed. Verse 21, the wise in heart are called discerning, and pleasant words promote instruction. Now, that word for instruction uh, can also be translated, make a person persuasive. 
That is, you have influence. And so the idea, the wise in heart, or, or excuse me, uh, the wise in heart are called discerning, and you, uh, the pleasant words promote instruction or make you a persuasive person, a person that can persuade people and influence them. Verse 22, understanding is a fountain of life to those who have it, but folly brings punishment to fools. It's a better understanding than foolishness. A wise man's heart, verse 23, guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. Back to that translation of that word again, or make him persuasive, make him influential. So notice now we're going to get into this idea of your lips and what you say and how that affects the world around you and the people uh, you have relationships with. Wise man's heart guides his mouth, that is what you say. And your lips, they promote that level of instruction or persuasion or influence. Verse 24, pleasant words are, this is back to the things we say, pleasant words are a honeycomb. A honeycomb is where we get the honey from. The bees make a honeycomb and they create honey and then we take it from them (laughs) and use it in tea and all kinds of good desserts. But pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Verse 25, now we we came across this... uh, in, in earlier studies, I think we've actually, it might have been once it was repeated exactly and, and in another portion of scripture it was alluded to. Uh, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And this is such a powerful, powerful proverb. Because there's a lot of people marching towards death, that is destruction in their life. And the way seems right to them, otherwise they wouldn't take it, right? So think of this, oh, I want to go out, I want to get high, I want to take some pills, I want to take some, uh, I want to do some drugs. This seems right to me, it seems good to me. You talk to those people, they'll, they'll make a case for why they're doing that. And then the end leads to death. They find them in their apartment days later because it was laced with fentanyl or the drugs killed them. or For whatever reason, they had a bad reaction. And you think to yourself, there is a way that seems right. The end, there is a, the end thereof is death. Uh, I often think of the people that ride up and down Route 21. You know, my dad used to tell me that when he was a kid, a long, long time ago, right? Uh, my dad was a kid in the 50s, that they would race their cars up and down Route 21. I remember when I was a kid, people would race their cars up and down Route 21. It still goes on today. I call that highway the Fast and the Furious, if you're familiar with those films, because every time I'm... I'm hearing some kind of craziness. It's on this highway where the car just goes, and and then inevitably, I'm trying to get to church, and the road is closed, and it's closed because someone crashed. There's a way that seems right, but the end thereof is death. It leads to death. Verse 26, the laborer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. I love this. I love this one because I have never been a lazy person. I've always been pretty industrious because my parents raised me to realize we didn't get an allowance. I kind of laugh when I hear about kids getting allowances because I didn't know what that word even meant. Um, we, we had our needs met, but when I had the opportunity to get a paper out uh, at 11 and a half, I guess it was, I started earning like 28 to $30 a week, something like that. And that was a lot of money back then. I, I worked my tail off. What motivated me? Getting up at 5.30 in the morning before school to deliver the daily news in the cold and in the rain and the snow, that did not motivate me at all. Hunger. Hunger for what? Not food, because my parents fed me. But, you know, I wanted those Puma sneakers. You know, back when I was a kid, they've come back now, but back when I was a kid, they were the sneakers. 
either the white basketball sneakers or the suede ones, the Clydes. And if you didn't have them, you weren't cool. You had to have one of those. You just had like Keds or supermarket sneakers. You were teased relentlessly. So for self-preservation, you had to have Pumas, right? And they were like 32, 35 bucks. So like, you know, they were like a week's work, right? My parents weren't going to buy them for me. I can tell you that right now. So this was my motivation. Today's world, for whatever reason, our culture has failed to honor this proverb. I know because we think it's more merciful to feed someone who's unwilling to work. We think we're helping them. But there's a big difference between serving someone and enabling them. And what happens in today's world, unfortunately, and it's not true of every person in need, but what happens oftentimes, we don't allow a person to develop an appetite for food. <laughs> you know, your appetite for something. It can be for, for your needs being met, but for food specifically, because your hunger drives you on. How many people, when they first got a job, got a job because they needed to get a job? How many people got up and said, I'd like to have a job because i got nothing better to do? No, there should be hunger, an appetite that drives you to work. So if you take away the appetite, if you satisfy the hunger, and your child is living in your basement and you're paying all of his bills, God forbid, even giving a, I'm talking about adult children, uh, even giving an allowance, do you think if they're not working, they're ever going to? Well, people on assistance who need to be on assistance is one thing. People on assistance who don't have an appetite or a hunger are going to stay in that terrible state because we fail to realize the truth of this proverb. So that's one of my favorite ones. Verse 27, a scoundrel plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. Now, we all saw, unfortunately, very recently what a scorching fire was able to do to a city in Maui or a village in Maui. And listen, listen, the scoundrel doing evil can bring that type of, uh, or that kind of destruction to a person's life or to a family. Your speech can be like a scorching fire. And it is scoundrels who plot, uh, plan or plot evil. Verse 28, notice this, a perverse man stirs up dissension or creates problems. And a gossip separates close friends. So you have two friends. One tells you something about their life. And you go and tell the other friend what they told you in confidence. Of course it separates friends, right? Of course it does. And it creates problems. And there are people out there that just love to gossip and love to divide people. And that's dissension. And obviously it's a perverse thing to do. You know, if I can just encourage you, because we're going to get to this tonight. Say less. You heard of that shoe store? Pay less? Say less. How about that? Okay, a violent man, verse 29, a violent man entices his neighbor and leads him down a path that is not good. So if you're a violent person, you can seek to get people involved in violent activity, either by provoking them or just getting them involved in something. You know, you have a neighbor and you say, hey, you know, let's break into so-and-so's house. Let's, well, let's, let's beat him up and take his money. When you promote violence like that, enticing others to become violent, you're leading them down a path, clearly, that is no good. Verse 30, and this, this is the person who whitewashes sin, we call it. He who winks with his eye is plotting perversity, and he who purses his lips is bent on evil. So the wink of the eye, it's like you say things, you say things that you don't really mean. All right? It's a wink of the eye. The idea, it's, it's to tell us you're saying it, but you don't really mean it. 
you're a hypocrite. You really have plans that are wicked. And uh, also notice pursing the lips. Now, this is interesting because I'm not, I mean, I know what pursing your lips means, but apparently the idea of pursing your lips, uh, well, people do that in those selfies, don't they? Is that what they call that? Pouting, a pouty smile or whatever? But that's not exactly it. Um, pursing your lips. The idea of you're doing one thing, but you're really not showing your cards. We oftentimes say you hold your cards close to the vest. The idea is that you're giving the impression that everything's okay, but really you're up to something. You're up to no good. Let's put it that way. You're up to evil. You're bent on evil and you're plotting perversity. So that's the idea, that people oftentimes will make it look like they're going to do the right thing, but they really have a terrible plan for wickedness. This is interesting for anybody here who has some gray hair coming in. Verse 31, gray hair is a crown of splendor, and it is attained by a righteous life. Now, you understand what that means? It's not the gray hair. It's the age. Like that you mature, that you live long enough to have gray hair. It's a crown of splendor. It shows that you have lived a long life, and long life was associated with prosperity and blessing. Now, it's okay if you cover it up. That's not the point. The point isn't the color of your hair. (laughs) The point is that if you have gray hair, you've lived a few years, and generally, and uh, you live those many years by living a a, a life that's righteous, a life that's good. Verse 32, better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. This has to do with a person who's hot-tempered. We've talked about them before. You can be a warrior, that is a person that when you're encountering someone in a war or through conflict, you can win the battle, but better to be patient, better to not look for a fight. And then certainly, if you can control your temper, you are controlling yourself, and you're greater or better than the warrior who could take a city, because you've conquered yourself. You may be able to conquer a city, but you can't control your temper. Controlling yourself and being patient is better than being a warrior or a person who could take a city. That's the idea. Finally, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Now, this brings us to the close of chapter 16 and gives us an understanding of what this chapter is doing. What they did is they grouped all these proverbs, various proverbs, a collection of them together to to really drive home a few major themes, all right? And that's what's happening in verse 16. All of it has to do with the godly life, but it has to do with the fact that the Lord is in control of all of our lives. We saw there that the Lord directs and gives success to our plans, but according to his will. He knows why we do what we do. He resists the plans of the proud man that acts independently of him. And he promotes kings to rule, but according to his will. See, my hope is in Christ, because even though our leaders may not be doing the right thing, God is in control, amen? And he warns us of the destructive power of the lips in chapter 16. But he controls even the apparently random circumstances in our lives. Now, the lot is cast into the lap. The idea is this, flipping a coin, rolling a die, drawing straws. They would cast lots. It was a way of determining something randomly. And sometimes it is, in the Bible, uh, better to randomly determine something where you want to have an impartial decision like drawing straws or flipping a coin uh, when they start a a football game 
to see who wants to choose to receive or, or kick, they flip a coin. By doing that, no one exercised any undue influence. The decision was made randomly. We do that all the time. We make random decisions or, or things happen randomly or we, or we make a decision. We, we're neither here nor there. Uh, you may go to a restaurant. Should it be the chicken or the fish? Maybe you're at a wedding. And you say, ah, you flip a coin. You say, I'll take the fish. All right? You, many, many times we make what we would call random decisions. So when we say the lot is cast into the lap or the flipping of a coin or the rolling of a die, it's every decision is from the Lord. I'm not saying God controls the coin, although he could. It's that God knows heads or tails before you flip. So because of that, God has worked into your plan for your life all of the random decisions you make, including whether you came to Bible study tonight, or whether you had the chicken or the fish, or whether you took that job or that job, or, or this job. I want you to understand it, because when I read that, it, it's back to that other uh, proverb that we read. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. It's the same idea. The idea is this. God's in control. Amen? You think you're making these decisions, and oh, what if I choose the right thing? Oh, you know, should I go here? Should I go there? Do I? And, and a lot of times we agonize over things that really don't matter. The truth is, whatever you decide, God is in control. That's what we're being told here. And that's really the, the, the thrust of the whole chapter, trying to make us to understand that God is in control of our lives. Okay, then we get to uh, chapter 17, and we'll go through this briefly. In chapter 17, it's all about we need to be careful how we live our lives. So now we're going to get to this idea of, like, we do make choices. Even though God is in control, we make choices. And those choices are instructed by God's Word. And so we're, there are things we need to avoid, and there are things we need to do, and we're going to see in this chapter that's laid out for us. So let's start by looking at verse 17. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. And of course, who wants, I mean, you may have steak every night, but if, if you're choking on it because you can't stand living in the home, better a dry crust. I actually like pizza crust, so I'm okay with that. Verse 2, a wise servant will rule over a disgraceful son and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. Now, there were servants in the home, and they were second tier. The sons were first tier, but the servants were, you know, they were servants. They may be loved, they may be part of the family, but they didn't inherit the way sons did. They didn't inherit at all. Uh, so, interesting, notice, a wise servant will rule over a disgraceful son. So if a man has a son, and his son is disgraceful, but he has a servant, and he's more like a son to him than his, uh, than his own son, he'll share the inheritance as one of the brothers. In other words, do the right thing. Be a wise servant. Verse 3, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. I love this. A crucible is used to melt down silver for jewelry and other purposes, and a furnace is used to melt gold. But notice, the Lord tests the heart. So we have a crucible and a furnace likened unto how the Lord proves or tests our hearts. You prove gold or you prove silver uh, by melting it down and determining what quality it is. God brings us through trying experiences, furnace-like experiences, to test our heart. What does that show us? It shows us what is in our heart. If you're in the crucible right now, if you're in the fiery furnace right now, God is testing your heart. 
to show you your heart. Verse 4, a wicked man listens to evil lips. A liar pays attention to a malicious tongue. What's the inverse? A righteous, does, a righteous man doesn't listen to evil lips. And a, uh, a man that doesn't lie doesn't pay attention to a malicious tongue. So we know what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to avoid. Verse 5, he who mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. And whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. So we're supposed to be compassionate people. I know it's hard. I used to think all manner of evil against any team that played the Giants. I, I have since given up the NFL and the MLB for reasons that I don't want to get into right now. But it just I used to imagine, break his leg, crack his ribs. And one time I was thinking that way, maybe even saying it, who knows, and I think it was Michael Vick. Got, he's, I think he was on the Eagles, and he got thrown down, and he, the Giants cracked three of his ribs. And I celebrated. And I thought to myself, that's a rather awful way to be, right? Um, we cannot allow ourselves, as much as we may have a vested interest in seeing something like that happen. Now, that's a sports game. It's still awful to think that way, and I don't suggest you think that way. I don't watch football anymore. But you can get into a place where you feel that way about people who are unfortunate, the poor. You can have contempt. I've heard people talk as of late, and especially about migrants coming over the border. And I have uh, two sides of my heart here. On the one side, I've spent a lot of time in Central America, and I really want every one of the people I encountered in Guatemala and El Salvador, or even in Cuba, I want like every one of them to be able to come here legally. I do. Legally, I do. Uh, on the other hand, I also understand the concern with the way we do things now because it hurts the people coming here and it hurts us as a society, right? So I understand both sides of it. But sometimes people get a little too politically active and they get to be like me watching the Giants several years ago. And they wish for bad things to happen to these people. At that point, you've crossed the line. And notice, I'm going to say it, he who mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Don't do it. You're showing contempt for God. But notice, whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. You're inviting disaster by being that kind of a person. I use the football analogy to make the point because, I mean, listen, sometimes we can say things about certain groups of people that is downright evil and wicked. All right? We need to be careful in our hearts. Verse 5, he who mocks the poor, we said, shows contempt for their maker, and whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. Verse 6, children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Remember, this is a generalization. It's not always true. But when you have a grandchild, they're sort of the crown of the aged. Now, you'll notice people who have grandchildren or love children as grandchildren, they don't wear them on their head, but they basically do. You know, they carry them around. They want to be with them. They, they love them and look for every opportunity to be with them. You understand that. But notice, parents are the pride of their children. Good parents, good relationship with their children. It's supposed to be that way. Now, is it like that all the time? Clearly not, but it should be. That's the ideal. That's what we're being told here. Arrogant, verse, uh, verse 7. Arrogant lips are unsuited to a fool, and how much worse lying lips to a ruler. So someone who's a fool and they're speaking arrogantly and proud, you know, that, it's unsuited. It doesn't fit. But a, a ruler is supposed to tell the truth. And listen... How much worse lying lips to a ruler? Well, read the news. We have people in power that seem incapable of doing anything but lying and, and telling stories and fabrications 
and when confronted with the truth, continue to lie. Why doesn't anyone ever get called on this? We live in a corrupt society. But I don't have to go very far, much further than our nation, to see the fulfillment of both of these things. <laughs> Arrogant lips on a fool and lying lips on a ruler. Verse 8, a bribe is a charm to the one who gives it, and wherever he turns, he succeeds. That doesn't promote bri- bribery, okay? That's not what it's being said. The idea, though, is when people do the wrong thing, which is to bribe others, they charm the ones, they charm. Uh, they're a charm to the one who gives it. A bribe is a charm. They charm others with their bribe. Uh, but notice, wherever he turns, he succeeds. Well, of course. Of course he succeeds. This is corruption. This is when someone buys influence, and we see this in our nation as well today. People making decisions in the courtroom or in our nation or legislation. Why? Because they're being bribed. They're bought and paid for. Whoever you're going to vote for in the next election, I just encourage you, try to vote for someone who doesn't need your money. Okay? Because you know what? These people who need money, we've seen it in several presidents and several high-ranking officials over the last couple of years. You see people who need money, and guess what? Oh, lo and behold, they leave the White House wealthy. How did that happen? Did it affect how they legislated, how they ruled? Of course it did. So it angers me. I don't like the uh, corruption, but the Bible tells us the truth. It tells us that a bribe is a charm to the one who gives it, and wherever he turns, he succeeds. Like a charm, like a talisman, the idea that a lucky charm. Well, it's not luck. It's money. He buys people. He who covers over an offense promotes love. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. So the idea is someone has offended you, and you don't share that with everybody. You promote love, peace, right? But when you go around telling everybody about what happened, you separate close friends. You break relationships. Verse 10, a rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes a fool. Notice that you could whip a fool a hundred times, but one rebuke impresses a man of discernment and wisdom. Correction to a person who can receive it, is much more effective than beating somebody who can't. That's the idea. Verse 11, an evil man is bent only on rebellion. A merciless official will be sent against him. So an evil person rebels against their authority, and what they're inviting is punishment. Verse 12, better to meet, this is an interesting one, better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than of folly in his fool. Now, this is exaggeration. It's hyperbole, but the point is, you know, if you're in the woods and you see a bear, pray as you're running away from the bear. Okay? So, yes, but if you see a bear with cubs, oh, man, you do not want to get in between a bear and its cubs. We all know this. So if you just see the cubs, what do you do? Run away from the cubs as you're praying that you don't become dinner or get destroyed by these things. These things are very powerful. I have a healthy fear of bear. I really do. I I know some people I know live in areas where they see bear all the time. I don't want to live there. I got deer. We got rabbits. We got foxes, coyotes. We got all. All right. Bear, no. So better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs, which will be about the worst thing that could happen on a hike right? Then a fool in his folly. That's how dangerous it is to be around foolish people that do foolish things. Hmm. 
something to think about. Verse 13, if a man pays back evil for good, evil will never leave his house. That's scary, isn't it? It almost sounds kind of mystical, but it's kind of true. If you're paying back evil for good, someone has done something good for you and you pay them back with evil, evil will never leave your house. That's you reap what you sow. Verse 14, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. I love the language here. No one wants to be on one side of the dam when it breaks, right? Nobody wants to be there when the, when the dam breaks. So why would you start a quarrel? Drop it. There's some people that just can't drop it. And what breaks out is like the water coming through a dam being broken. It, it causes problems. But there's some people that just can't leave it alone. Don't do it. Verse 15, acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. Wow. I don't even know what not to say about this. But we're living in a society with two tiers of justice. Politics has is, is really infused the, the justice system to the point now where those who are in power use the court system to destroy their enemies. And they protect the people they want to protect. We see this right now in our world, and it's disturbing to see someone who's innocent being condemned and someone who's guilty being acquitted. I can't even watch the news anymore because this just disturbs me so much. But notice, the Lord detests them both. So the fact that I detest it, I guess I'm, I'm in a good place because God detests it too. And if you detest it, and understand God's, God's with us in this area. And God is in control. Amen? Remember that part? We studied that already. Okay. Verse 16. Of what use is money in the hand of a fool since he has no desire to get wisdom? You might even want to pray this way. Lord, don't give me success above my ability to use it properly. I think that's so important. Verse 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Now what this is telling us is, look... If a true friend is going to be there no matter what, and a brother is going to be there when you need him. It's, it's not a contrast. It's just the truth. A friend loves at all times. You can rely on them. And a brother is born for adversity. Brothers and friends, there when you need them. A man lacking judgment, verse 18, a man lacking in judgment strikes hands in a pledge and puts up security for his neighbor. That is, he signs or co-signs the loan, guarantees the loan, uh, one thing you will know if you've read any portion of the book of Proverbs is one thing that's repeated over and over and over again. Do not, do not co-sign or put up security for someone else unless, of course, you are prepared to pay the entire amount. So sometimes parents will do that for their children because they are. But be very careful with this. The Bible's very clear. Verse 18, uh, we just read. Verse 19, he who loves a quarrel loves sin. And he who builds a high gate invites destruction. Now, that's a little hard to interpret. It could have a couple of different interpretations. But first of all, the first part we can understand. If you love quarrels, you love to quarrel, you love to fight. I know people that thrive on this. They love, it's like a steak on their plate. They can't wait to cut away at it. They love to quarrel. But if you love to quarrel, that means you love sin. Because quarreling is sinful. And, and why would you want to do that? We've just read all these Proverbs that tell us to be peaceful and be patient. and So you love sin. But notice, what does this mean? He who builds a high gate 
invites destruction. Now, a gate. A gate is designed to keep people out. It's designed to protect people within, yes. It divides people. It prevents people from going from one place to the other. The idea is the high gate invites destruction because it sends a message. It's this idea of taking quarrels all the way to their end. If you quarrel with someone for a long period of time, ultimately you end up building a high gate. You end up separating, feuding, we used to say in my family, oh, so, cousin so-and-so is not talking to aunt so-and-so anymore. Why? Not? They're feuding. They're upset. What happened? I don't know, but she built a high gate, basically. And this used to happen growing up in an Italian family. It was like every week somebody wasn't talking to somebody. And you build a high gate. One of the examples I've heard, never actually saw it, but I heard this has happened. If a family's feuding and they get invited to a wedding uh, many years ago, the person would go to the wedding and turn over their plate. As if to say, I'm here, but I'm not going to eat. Which is about the highest form of insult an Italian can do. Okay? I'm not eating. So that's the high gate. It's the idea you're separating yourself. You're bringing quarrels all the way to the point where you want nothing to do with the person. Think about your neighbor. You have a fight, and then you build a fence. You build a fence because you have dogs. You build a fence because you got kids. You got a pool. It's one thing. You build a fence because you don't want to look at your neighbor's face, and you understand this proverb. Okay? Hopefully that helps. I encourage you, you can meditate on these things, and God will reveal what, it, what it's actually being said. It's always very practical. Verse 20, a man of perverse heart does not prosper. He whose tongue is deceitful falls into trouble. So being a liar or a person that is not true, a deceitful person, will bring you trouble, obviously. Verse 21, to have a fool for a son brings grief. There is no joy for the father of a fool. Anyone who has a foolish son would say amen. Hopefully no one has to feel that way, but obviously it's very true. Verse 22, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up bones. So how do you want to live? Let me ask you that. How do you want to live? You want to live with a crushed spirit or do you want to live with a cheerful heart? You know, there are studies... I'm not one of that has done these studies, but I've read about them where if you cultivate an environment of cheerfulness and peacefulness and happiness and kindness, that you tend to be healthier. But if you always cause problems or are involved in problems or have your spirit crushed by somebody, it does dry up the bones. It does affect the life. Have you ever seen somebody who, who, who's really become unhealthy because of all of the different things we're talking about, the, the quarrels, the difficulties, and the feuding, I have. They don't look happy. You know, they almost develop a scowl. You wonder if they had that face when they were kids. You know, it's like their, their, their chin, the lines on their face, it's like they're so used to doing this that their face just, my mother used to say, that, don't make that face, you make that face, it's going to stay that way. I actually used, used to think she was kidding, but I guess it's true. If you're always walking around like this, you're going to look like that eventually. It's going to get stuck that way. <laughs> mother's uh, advice there. So what you want to do is make sure you're a cheerful person. You're cultivating good medicine, we like to say. Or in the martial arts world, we say good chi. But anyway, uh, all of that is much better than crushed bones or crushed spirit, the 
dries up the bones. Verse 23, a wicked man accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the course of justice. Oh, we know this to be true, right? Verse 24, a discerning man keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. So the wise person, the discerning person, is always looking at what's right, and everything they do, they, they keep wisdom in view, but the fool, looking everywhere else, doesn't care. Verse 25, a foolish son brings grief to his father and bitterness to the one who bore him. We've seen this once or twice already, this idea that a child that behaves foolishly causes grief to their parents and bitterness. Verse 26, it is not good to punish an innocent man or to flog officials for their integrity. Imagine that. Can you imagine a government that would punish officials for being people of integrity? I don't know. That's sarcasm. It's not good to punish innocent people, but our, our, our justice system is doing exactly that with a number of people and many people, actually, throughout our culture. Verse 27, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint. That's a word I want you to take home this week. Restraint. Restraint. Especially as it relates to the things we say. A man of knowledge, okay, think about it. A person of knowledge generally uses words profusely. They're verbose. They like to tell everyone how smart they are, right? You find a person who is knowledgeable, generally they'll, they'll let you know of their vocabulary and all the things they can say. But what is this? The opposite. A man of knowledge uses words with restraint. And a man of understanding is even-tempered. So that's the kind of person we ought to be. And finally, one of my absolute favorites... Even a fool is thought-wise, thought-wise, not that he is, but even a fool is thought-wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. So, if you don't know what to say, don't say it. Don't say anything. You know, we get ourselves into trouble so many times simply because we speak. So, restraint. Say less. Remember I said that pay less, say less? When you see pay less, you'll think, oh, Pastor Tim said say less. Say less. Wait to be asked. Don't uh, volunteer your opinion so quickly. Don't be so willing to say things because oftentimes it will get you in trouble. And you'll only prove what some people may not realize. <laughs> and that is, you might be a little foolish. So all of this has to do with how we live our lives. We need to be careful how we live our lives. We need to avoid strife, malice, mocking, lying, arrogance, bribery, gossip, rebellion, foolishness, and injustice. And we need to act wisely respectfully, graciously, honestly, faithfully, cheerfully, calmly, and discreetly. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your wisdom. We crave it. We need it. We desire it. May this wisdom just be applied to our hearts as we seek you through your word. And may this week, may we have opportunities to share the greatest wisdom of all, that we know you, that we have a relationship with you. May those words come to mind. Given the opportunity, may we share the truth of your death on the cross for our sins, your resurrection from the tomb, your promise to come again, and the promise that to as many as received you, to those who believe on your name, you give us the right to become and be called the children of God. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.